Welcome to the Scotts Hill Podcast. At Scotts Hill, our mission is to join God in His work of transforming lives. One of the ways we join God is by studying and proclaiming His Word. So each week, our podcast features our Sunday morning sermons where one of our pastors explains, illustrates, and applies the Bible to our lives. We hope that you are challenged and encouraged by the Word of the Lord. Good morning and welcome to Scotts Hill. We're so glad that you're here on this rainy day. You are the ones who braved the weather and the roads and you got here and we're so happy that you're joining us. Some of you are at home watching. Maybe some of you are sick. Maybe some of you uh, didn't want to get out in the weather. Whatever it is, we're glad that you've invited us to your home. And those in the Cross Point Center want to give out a shout out to you as well. Well, we are in the middle of the Christmas season and we're quickly moving towards Christmas. Christmas Day. And we're still in all the trappings of Christmas, all the lights, the presents, all the festive things. And as I said earlier, I love all things about Christmas. But one of the things I really like about Christmas is the music. And when you listen to the music of Christmas, there's all kinds of music, isn't there? There's the secular music, then there's the sacred music. And we can listen to both and enjoy those. But the one that has the deepest meaning and the answer to the promises of life, or the sacred songs. And when you think about all the sacred hymns that we sing during Christmas, they're all about the promise of the king coming and the fulfillment of God's plan for the redemption of man. And when you look at all the Christian hymns around Christmas, there's one that stands out above all the others. It is a song that was written by a pastor and a music director. They wrote it for the purpose of a Christmas Eve service in their small church. The song has been sung in so many different languages and translated around the world, and people love this song more than anything else. The song is Silent Night. You know it well. And there's something about that song, Silent Night, that just brings kind of a calming to us. It's a reminder that on a silent night, On the outskirts of Bethlehem, the Redeemer of the world broke into human history. The Savior of the world, wrapped in human flesh, came and lived among us. The Savior, the King, had finally come. But when you think about Christmas, it's more than about a silent night. Christmas is actually about the interruption of 400 years of silent nights. Let me explain that to you. The Bible's written in two sections, the Old Testament and the New Testament. The last book of the Old Testament is Malachi. The first book of the New Testament is the Gospel of Matthew. And in between those two in your Bible is a single page. And that single page represents 400 years between the Old Testament and the New Testament. But it's not just 400 years. It's 400 years of silence. During those 400 years, there are no prophets who are saying, thus saith the Lord. During those 400 years, there are no visitations from angels or visions being given. During those 400 years, There is no revelation coming from God. During those 400 years, God goes silent. 
And we wonder, what happened? Where is God during those 400 years? Why are there no prophets? Why is there no revelation? Why are there no visitations? Has God just abandoned humanity? Has God just said, you know, I've had enough of them. I need a break. What was God doing during those 400 years? And that's a valid question. It's a good question. Because some of you have that same question in your own life today. Where is God in my life? It feels like 400 years since I've heard from him. It feels like a very long time since I've experienced his presence. It seems like God has gone silent in my life. But here's the thing we need to remember. That God is working behind the scenes constantly. And we need to remember this very simple, incredible truth. When God is silent, it does not mean he is absent. When he is silent, it doesn't mean he is absent. During those 400 years, you know what God was doing? He was preparing the world for the coming of the king. And he was not only preparing the world for the coming of the king, he was preparing culture, he was preparing society, he was making sure that not only would everything be right when Jesus comes, but everything would be set up for the message of Christ to penetrate the world. Behind the scenes, God is working. And it's in those times God does his greatest work. And I want to say something. When there are times in your life where you feel that God is silent, it's usually during those times that he's preparing your life, preparing your heart, preparing your soul for something that you have never experienced before. As we're continuing in our study, the king is coming. We've looked at Eve first. And we've seen the promise that God gave to Eve of the coming king in the middle of a curse. And then last week, Jeff did a fabulous job of helping us to see that the king is coming and that God is going to fulfill his promise in impossible situations. But today, we're going to look at an older couple, a couple who were faithful to the Lord. And after 400 years of silence, God breaks the silence and he comes to this couple and he shows what happens when God breaks the silence in our lives. If you have your Bibles open to Luke chapter 1, beginning in verse 5, we'll read to verse 25. We've got a lot of ground to cover this morning. And then we'll read verses 42 to 44 and wrapping it all up. But we're going to look at an older couple. An older couple that have most of their life lived in the silence of God as most of the people in that culture did. and But God is about to break the silence of 400 years. He's going to show up to one couple, and he's going to transform their lives. Their names are Zechariah and Elizabeth. Much of the narrative has to do with Zechariah, and we're going to see what happens there. But the greatest joy flows from Elizabeth and what she demonstrates. So as we look at this, beginning in verse 5 of chapter 1 of Luke, here's how he begins. He says, in the days of Herod, king of Judah, Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah. And he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. 
And they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and the statutes of the Lord. But they had no child because Elizabeth was barren and both were advanced in years. Now we're introduced to this older couple and we find right away that Zechariah is a priest, but he is a priest of the division of Abijah. During these days, there are 24 divisions of priests. And in a division of priests, you would do your duty whenever the cycle of that division came about. And so it was, the, it was at the time for the cycle of the division of the priesthood of Abijah. His wife is Elizabeth. Elizabeth is a direct descendant of Aaron, the priest. So Zechariah was not born into the lineage of priesthood, but he married into it. And as a priest, he would do his duties when those times come along. He was like a bivocational pastor. He had a job, but in that time of service, that division would serve, and he would begin to serve. There were 24 divisions. Now, what we find about this couple is that they're a lovely couple. They're a righteous couple. They love the Lord. They trust the Lord. They are walking according to the statutes and the, the commands of God. And they are walking uprightly. In God's eyes, he sees them as a righteous, loving, godly couple. But they're also very old. They're old, they're aging in life, and they're experiencing all the things that other couples do. And in the midst of that, we find out that she cannot have a child. Now, in a culture like that, when a woman was barren, oftentimes it was seen as a judgment on them by God. There must be a reason that they are barren because they are cursed by God. But Luke does away with that thought by saying that they were righteous. And here God breaks in, in after 400 years of silence. And who does he do it to? God always does it the same way. God breaks his silence, he does so with ordinary people. Zechariah was an ordinary priest. He wasn't a high priest. He wasn't an assistant to the priest. He was just an ordinary person. Elizabeth was an ordinary woman who was loving her husband and loving the Lord together, going through life with ordinary problems and struggles. And what we see here is in the midst of all of this ordinariness, things, God shows up. He breaks into their life after 400 years of silence and reveals himself. This is a wonderful truth because when you go through the pages of scripture, the people that we see God using most often are ordinary people, people who are just living ordinary lives. I, I, I think of David, who is just a little shepherd boy taking care of the sheep and God raises him up and calls him. I think of the disciples, ordinary fishermen. God uses them to change the world. Every character that's in the Christmas narrative are ordinary people. Mary is an ordinary peasant girl, a teenager most likely. Joseph is an ordinary carpenter living in an ordinary dead-end town, doing an ordinary job. They go to an ordinary requirement of a census and there you see the ordinary shepherds who are going through the ordinary routines of life. They're just ordinary. 
And you know what we think a lot of times? We think that God can only use those people with the highest skills. God can use the people with the greatest experience. God can only use those people who have the greatest platform. And you know what we tend to think as Christians many times? We think, oh, if God would take that celebrity or if God would take that person and use those people, they would have a great platform greater than anybody else. Oh, if God would just take Taylor Swift and Travis Kelsey and they would come to faith in Christ, how many people would be be saved. But God doesn't do that. What he does is he uses the ordinary people. And I love the way the apostle Paul puts it in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 verses 27 through 28. But God has chosen the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to shame the things which are strong. And the base things of the world and the despised God has chosen. The things that are not that he might nullify the things that are. I would say to this, If you consider yourself an ordinary person, my friend, you're a great candidate for God's use. An ordinary person living for the glory of God is a powerful person in the hands of a powerful God. So God breaks his silence. He does so with ordinary people. Where does he do it and when? Here's the second point. When God breaks his silence, it's during normal routines of life. It's just the normal routines of life. Look at verse 8. Now, while he was serving as priest before God, when his division was on duty. Now, he's serving as a priest, Zechariah is. He's called up because the division of Abijah is going to start working. And we have to find those who are in this division. And what we're going to do is we're going to get together and we are going to assign every priest a specific job. And you're just going to fulfill that routine job that you have done over and over and over. It is going to be just a routine job. It's not some great celebration. It is not going to be the day of atonement. It is just a regular worship of God and ministering to him. Get ready. And you know what Zachariah is doing? He's just going through life. Ordinary things of life, as he's just living life, God shows up. Elizabeth is doing the same. We don't know what she's doing, but she is in the routines of her life as well. And then God shows up. You know, here's another wonderful truth that we need to learn. And that's the reality is that a lot of times we think to experience the great things of God or the greatest work of God in our own lives, we've got to be somewhere where some great things are happening. You know, if if God's going to break into my life, I've got to go to that conference that everybody's going to. Or if God's going to break into my life, I need to go to that Bible study group that everybody's going to. Or maybe I need to go on that retreat at Black Mountain in the Billy Graham um, place. And you might have all kinds of ideas. And it's no question that God can break through there. But you know where God brings the greatest breakthrough? is just in the normal routines of your life. Just as you're going through life, as you're living your life, God is working all around us. And many times, I want to say, we miss out on some great opportunities because we don't look for them in the routines of our day. And it's in the thousand routines that we go through 
where God can do some of his greatest work. I love what Dietrich Bonhoeffer wrote. He was a German theologian. He said, we must be ready to allow ourselves to be used by God. God will be constantly crossing our paths and canceling our plans, sending us people with claims and petitions. It is a strange fact that Christians and even ministers frequently consider their work so important and urgent that they will allow nothing to disturb them. They think they're doing God a service in this, but actually they are disdaining God's crooked yet straight path. I think about this is true of all of us, but it's true of us in ministry. How many times do we have these, these, these goals? How many times do we have all of these events that we have to plan for? We got to get ready for this and we get ready for that. And we don't want people to interfere with our work. And we miss out on opportunities through the course of the day. Just a couple of weeks ago, I was so busy. It was a Wednesday, and I got an email from a lady who said, I've been attending your church, but I've got cancer. I can no longer attend. I'm in hospice. I'm not going to be here much longer. Can you come visit me? And I could have easily just said, well, I'm just so busy, and I was. But I dropped everything. I drove down there. I spent an hour with her just listening to her story and just blessed my heart. I got to know her. I got to hear her testimony. I got to hear about her life with Christ. She right there planned out her memorial service, and I did her service yesterday. And I had an opportunity to put down things, to be impacted, and to impact her family with the message of the gospel. Listen carefully. Don't miss opportunities of God breaking in in your life because you're too busy. Look for him. And when there are interruptions in your day, have you ever considered that it might be God doing that? God has distracted me. He's moved me into this place. Maybe it's for me having a conversation with the person that I never would have had a conversation with except for that. And most of the time, if we're honest, we're looking for reasons to complain because our day didn't go according to our plan. But when God breaks in, he does with ordinary people on ordinary routines. But here's the third thing we learn. When God breaks his silence, it's always for a specific purpose. Always for a specific purpose. Here's what verse 9 says. According to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. Now, there were a lot of opportunities to minister to the Lord. And there were 24 divisions. And of those 24 divisions, get this, there were 18,000 priests. And so the selections of those individuals for, were for numerous tasks. Not all 18,000 were chosen, that division. But of all those, every one of them wanted to do the one thing, to burn incense in the presence of the Lord. You've got the Holy of Holies that only the high priest can go in once a year on the Day of Atonement by himself. Then you've got the holy place that's next to it, and only one priest can go in there and burn incense before the Lord. That is what they're looking for. And so as they cast lots, in other words, they threw dice, and it landed on Zechariah. Of all the priests that it could have fallen on, it fell on Zechariah because God had a specific plan. Again, his providence is working behind the scenes. And what does he do? 
He gets to go into the holy place. And if you are selected to the holy place, you only get to do it one time in your life. And most priests never, ever get the opportunity to have that. God worked it out. God calls those dice. Now, I'm not saying for you to go start gambling and consider that the providence of God in your life. But I am saying this. There's no such thing as luck in the economy of God. No such thing as luck. Because again, his providence is working behind the scenes. And as that mystery of providence takes place, God works things according to his plan. So what does he do? He gets to go to the holy place. Here's just a point in this. You are not where you are by accident. You don't have the job that you have by accident or just simply you're doing. You're not at the school that you're at because of your good planning or the roommates that you have because it worked out. All of this is the providence of God. And one of the things that we need to understand is that God in his providence has placed me where I am. You're in that neighborhood for a purpose. Why? Because God wants you to share the good news of Jesus to those people. You're on that job. Why? Because God wants you to be his missionary on that job where there may be no other Christian missionaries. You have that roommate. Why? Is it just because they can pay their bills? Well, that's one reason. But another reason is that God's put you together, maybe even to sharpen one another or to have an impact with one another on the gospel. And when God breaks into your life, it's for a specific purpose, and that is to fulfill his calling and his purpose in you. So we see that God uses ordinary people in ordinary routines of life for a specific purpose. But now we get down to the encounter with Zechariah and the angel. And here's number four. When God breaks his silence, he impacts our prayers. God changes our prayers. Elizabeth and Zechariah had been praying. And as a matter of fact, Zechariah is in the holy place. And he is praying. How does God impact our prayers? Let me give you three ways. God can impact your forgotten prayers. Your forgotten prayers. That's what happened with Zechariah and Elizabeth. Notice what happens in verses 11 through 13. And there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. Zechariah is excited. He gets to go into the holy place. He is there. Then all of a sudden, an angel appears to him on his right. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him, you think? And, he fe and fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, do not be afraid. Now, let me put this in the right context. This giant angel appears. He is troubled by looking at it. He falls in fear. And the angel says, Zechariah, don't be afraid. Actually, it's a command. Stop being afraid, Zechariah. And he was afraid. And he says, for your prayer has been heard and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son and you will give him the name John. This is the first breakthrough in 400 years of God communicating any word to people. He comes to this priest who's scared to death and he tells him that your wife Elizabeth is going to have a son. We have not seen anything in this passage yet that they were praying for a child. All we heard is that they were barren. 
But there is no mention of this. Surely Zechariah must have been praying for Israel, the peace of Israel. Maybe he was praying for the nation. Whatever it was that he was praying for, God reminded him of a forgotten prayer. How do we know that prayer is forgotten? Verse 18. He Zechariah said to the angel, how will I know this? For I am an old man and my wife is advanced in years. We are well beyond the years of having children. We don't even pray that prayer anymore. Forgotten prayers. And do you know the most wonderful thing about this? Even though Zechariah and Elizabeth quit praying for children because they were way beyond it, God never forgot it. You know what Zechariah's name means? It means God remembers. God remembers. And God's saying, Zechariah, you may have forgotten. I've never forgotten that. And let me tell you, some of you today have some forgotten prayers. You've been praying for that child for so long and so long and so long and nothing has happened and you've almost given up if you've not given up. God hasn't forgotten. Some of you have been struggling with an illness and you have prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed and you're still struggling with it and you feel like God isn't listening and he's forgotten and you've gotten to the point, why even pray anymore? And God says, I haven't forgotten. Some of you are dealing with emotional issues, maybe anxiety or depression, and you're wondering if God is even hearing you. And God says, I've not forgotten. You see, the thing is, when God breaks in your life, he doesn't forget, and you need to keep praying because the story isn't over. You see, God can impact your forgotten prayers, but secondly, God can impact your safe prayers. Your safe prayers. No doubt that they were just praying for a son. And they had prayed, Lord, just give us a son. We don't care what he looks like. He can look like a camel. He can look like Yoda. We don't care. We just want a son. But then the angel tells them what they will have. You will have joy and gladness. And many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great before the Lord, and he must not drink wine or strong drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. And he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. You're not going to have just any son. You're going to have, and he breaks it down. He would be great source of joy for Zach and Liz. He would be great in the sight of the Lord. He would be a Nazarite. He would be spirit-filled in the womb. He would be a source of revival for the nation of Israel. He would be restoring fathers to children, leading disobedient to righteousness, and he would be the forerunner to the Messiah. You're praying for a son. You're going to get a spirit-filled prophet who is going to go before the coming Messiah, and he's going to proclaim that he is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And he's going to prepare the hearts of people by baptizing them for the preparation of Holy Spirit baptism. That's who he's going to be. Basically saying, quit praying simple prayers. Don't pray safe prayers. Pray radical prayers. Just a reminder to me, how many times is it easy for us just to pray a safe prayer? 
versus a radical prayer. And a lot of times when we say safe prayers, we're really doing a disservice to the ability of God. It's when I pray those incredibly radical, deep prayers that that honors God because he's capable of anything. And our prayer life should be some that are filled with boldness. And he's saying, don't say, just pray the safe prayers. Go deeper and pray for great things. Here's the third way that God can impact your prayers. He can impact your faithless prayers. Because a lot of times we pray things that we really don't believe. We pray things that we want, but we're not quite sure God is able to do it. So there's not much faith to it. And this is what happens with Zechariah. Zechariah said to the angel, how will I know this? For I'm an old man and my wife is advanced in years. Let me translate that. He says, I'm old, but my wife is really old. That's what he said. The angel answered him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God and I was sent to speak to you and bring you this good news. He ticked Gabriel off by his faithlessness. He made him mad. Gabriel is one of the key angels next to Michael. And those are the only ones that are named in the Bible. And Gabriel stands in the presence of God. You can imagine, he said, Zechariah, you don't know who you're talking to. I stand in the face of God. God gives me the message. I deliver it. When you don't believe it, you're not just not believing me. You're not believing God himself. And he was angry with Zechariah. So he says, you want a sign? Great, I'll give you a sign. And behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until that day. Not only was he unable to speak, but if you go and look at verse 62 in that passage, he was unable to hear. Because after the birth of John, they were trying to to motion to him to help him understand. They couldn't just speak to him. So he was both deaf and and unable to speak. And he says that you will be unable to speak until that day that these things take place because you do not believe my word. So basically he's saying this, for the whole pregnancy of Elizabeth, you're not going to be able to hear her and you're not going to be able to talk to her. For the whole pregnancy, she's not going to have to put up with you at all. And I know some of you women are thinking, I wish that was still common. But that's part of the curse. And he's saying you have faithless prayers. His prayers were were not completely dependent on God. He didn't really believe. And there's a difference in believing in God and believing God. I love what Thomas Brooks writes about these kinds of prayers. He calls them cold prayers. He says cold prayers are like arrows without heads or swords without edges, or birds without wings. They pierce not, they cut not, they fly not up to heaven. Cold prayers do always freeze before they reach heaven. So when God breaks in, he does it through ordinary people in normal circumstances who are going through the normal routines of life for a specific purpose. And when God breaks through in our lives, he changes the way we pray. So Zechariah has been in the holy place. Everybody's outside waiting. They're wondering what happens. And finally he comes out. And it's obvious that he saw something. Some kind of vision. Something happened. The first time in 400 years. 
And God is fulfilling his promise by preparing the nations for a prophet who is going to go before the Messiah to proclaim the truth. And so the next time we see them, this is what it says in verses 24 and 25. After these days, his wife Elizabeth conceived, and for five months she kept herself hidden, saying, thus the Lord has done for me in the days when he looked on me to take away my reproach among our people, among people. She was a person of deep faith. There's nowhere in this text that we see anything of her questioning God. There's nowhere in this text that we see her forgetting the prayers. There's nowhere in there that we see her doubting God. In fact, what we see is the opposite of Zechariah. While Zechariah now is silent, he can't hear, he can't speak, guess who becomes the spokesperson? Elizabeth. And the contrast of what he spoke and she spoke are two different things. And here's what the last point is that I want you to see. When God breaks his silence, there is to be a great celebration. When God breaks his silence, there is to be great rejoicing in our lives. Luke chapter 1, verses 39 and following. In those days, Mary rose and went with haste until the hill country. Now, there's a gap between her conception and her celebration. Mary also encounters Gabriel. And Gabriel tells her that she is going to have a child. And Gabriel tells her also that Elizabeth, her relative, is pregnant. And so after she gets this message from the angel, the first thing Mary does is run to see Elizabeth. And she goes in haste to the hill country, to a town in Judah. And she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. She didn't greet Zechariah. He couldn't hear. So... And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, listen to this. When Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And she exclaimed with a loud cry, blessed are you among women and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. What is she doing? She is leading out in celebration. She's the very first person to celebrate the coming king. She's the very first one who's walking through this whole process she celebrates and gives glory to God. And then the baby inside of her celebrates John as he is filled with the Spirit. And then she is filled with the Spirit and proclaiming in a loud voice the great deeds of God because he has fulfilled his promises. And then Zechariah, once he is able to speak and hear again, he goes into this proclamation of how great God is. And what do they do? They begin this whole process of celebrating that God has broken through. He has fulfilled his word and he is accomplishing his purposes through ordinary people in normal routines, 
in unexpected ways for his glory. Child of God, let me talk to you. God has broken the silence, his silence in your life. There was a time when you were separated from him and you could not hear his voice. There was a time in your life where you only listened to your flesh and the world and the devil and you thought you were okay. But God began to break into your life when the Holy Spirit comes and begins to convict you of your sin. And he breaks into your life where the Holy Spirit regenerates you, takes that dead person and makes you spiritually alive. He breaks into your life when he fills your, your, your spirit with his spirit. He breaks into your life when he adopts you as a son or a daughter of God. He breaks into your life when your name is written on the Lamb's book of life to be with him for all of eternity. He breaks into your life when he answers your prayers and he prepares you for his presence. How can you not celebrate? How can we go through Christmas year after year after year knowing that the silence of God has been broken and his favor is upon people today and he is still in the business of saving people because he is king and he is Lord. So what is the challenge for you to do today? It's remember that he still breaks into your life. There are moments every day where he wants to interrupt your life for his glory. Let him do it. There are times when because of the great victories that he brings, he wants you to proclaim to others what he has done for you. On the job, at home, in the marketplace. So here's my challenge for you this Christmas. As we come into this Christmas celebration with your families, don't be a Zachariah who is silent and unable to speak. Be an Elizabeth who is bold, who is grateful, and who proclaims the excellencies of her Savior among your family. You be her. You model that joy. And when everybody else is wanting to be silent, speak up. You know what would be a great thing is when you're with your family. And if you've got family members who are all about this, this contemporary cultural Christmas where it's all about me and presents and there's really no mention of God or Christ in the celebration, what would be a wonderful thing would be for one of you or you to step up and just simply say, hey, before we begin... Let's read the Christmas story together. And if you have little children who can read, always let a child read it because people will listen to a child. Or you read it. Don't let that celebration go by without the exclamation that God has broken through. He is no longer silent. That his son is the king who can redeem and I am here today to proclaim the excellencies of who he is. Be bold. Be loud. Be joyful. Now, for those of you who may not be believers, my friend, he came for you. That's why he did it. He came 
for you. He knew you from eternity past. There's never been a time where God has not known you and he has not loved you. He told Jeremiah, I have loved you with an everlasting love. There's never been a time he's never known you. And he came for you. And he knew you would be here today, not by accident, but by his providence. And that you would need to hear how deeply he loves you. And he would call you to surrender to him. I'm going to close us in a word of prayer in a moment. The band's going to come out. And we're going to sing a final song that is a song that is just reflection of what he did for us. Would you join me as we pray? Father, we thank you that you are no longer silent. We thank you, Father, that you have broken in. And Father, that you have given us the truth of your promise revealed in your Son. I ask, Father, that as we continue to worship today, that we be reminded of how great you are. And that we would celebrate together the glorious Savior in Jesus Christ. Would you prepare our hearts even for this next Sunday and then that Monday to come that our hearts would be filled to overflowing with joy because of Jesus. Father, I pray for those who are without Christ that you would work deeply within their hearts and their minds and you would draw them to yourself. And Father, we pray for your children that we would be some of the most joyful people in our culture because of what Christ has done for us. And we pray in his name. Amen. Thank you for listening. Hebrews 13, 20-21 says, Now may the God of peace who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. This is our hope for you today. If you would like to connect with us, visit our website at scottsill.org slash next steps. Till next time.